0: Welcome to All Things Beer,
1: a Pat's Pints, Mark's Mugs podcast. I'm Pat Woodward. And I'm Mark Richards. Each month, we are joined by brewers, enthusiasts, and friends to explore the techniques, the culture, and the history of mankind's best invention. So grab
0: a beer and join us as we discover a world of all things beer.
1: Welcome out there. I know we've been away from the airwaves, so to speak, for a few months, but we are back starting off 2023 on a good foot with an episode about non-alcoholic beers. Yeah, for dry January, we thought it
0: would be very appropriate to maybe, as the non-alcoholic beers are infiltrating the marketplace, I have to ask why. I'm kind of skeptical to even think that I want or need a non-alcoholic beer, Although I haven't been drinking for quite some time now. About 4 months ago, I decided to make a path where I am giving up alcohol.
1: Yeah, well, as someone who hasn't given up a beer or alcohol, I, I do have to say there are circumstances and situations where a non-alcoholic beer that really tasted like beer would be a very welcome thing. I mean, sometimes you're the driver, uh, sometimes, you know, it's too early in the day. I don't know. I mean, maybe some people think there's no point in non-alcoholic beer. I understand where you're coming from, but I think uh, sometimes there is. And so the question really is, are there non-alcoholic beers out there that taste close enough to beer that would make you want to drink them? And I think we've found out the answer
0: could be yes. How do we get alcohol out of a beer? I'm sure that's crossed somebody's mind before that is a brewer go to all this effort to make alcohol and then you want to get that back out. That's an interesting proposition.
1: Yeah, we're going to go into the science, if you will, or the process of making non-alcoholic beers. And, you know, if you're someone out there who hasn't tried a non-alcoholic beer since O'Doul's, uh, you might be a little bit surprised at how the field has moved, both in the way that these beers are made and the way they taste. So I hope you'll join us for the next little while while we uh, take you through this. Just like normal, we usually open a beer pretty early on. And so I thought we would do that here. And we're going to start with uh, the Heineken 0.0. And this is one, if you go online and look at beers that are recommended, uh, this one comes up a lot.
0: Yeah, I've only tried it recently because you had it in your home for this podcast, Pat. I was pleasantly surprised that it's not too bad.
1: Well, it's sure got good clarity. Yeah. Pours with a nice, creamy head, too. That's pretty good. I mean, one of the critiques that sometimes thrust on these beers is that they're light-bodied. You know, they're taste kind of watered down. I don't know that it's really as malty as the regular Heineken, but it's got the right flavor. Tastes like beer to me. It tastes more or less like a Heineken should. And by the way, this is a one in a can, so it's not light-struck. It doesn't have the skunked flavor.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's got
1: barely a floral nose. And the grain's there. Yeah, I think, I think it's all right. Well, I wanted to start with this beer for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think it's fair to say that in Europe, in continental Europe, they're a little bit ahead of the game of the U.S. in terms of availability of non-alcoholic beers on the market. So I was looking up some figures, and for example, in Germany, where they drink a lot of beer, non-alcoholic beer accounts for 7% of the sales. And then I heard that in Spain, it's actually 13% of the sales. So um, I don't know what it is in the U.S., but I'm going to guess 1% or less probably.
0: Yeah, when I go over to Perfect Pour to find some of these examples, I was shocked to find that I could get 53 different non-alcohol beers.
1: Wow, 53 different varieties.
0: Yes, some of those made by the same brewery. Some of them had two or three. And some just had one option, but 53 different non alcoholic products they carry.
1: And I asked Kevin over there, do these turn over? He said they do. So, okay. Well, I will say we've gone into, you know, for example, Kroger and looked at the beer selection. And yeah, there's not a small number of non alcoholic beers. So, you know, the grocery stores wouldn't be stocking it if nobody was buying it. This is true. Hard to get shelf space anyway. For alcoholic beer. Yeah, exactly. You know, another reason I wanted to start with the Heineken is I wanted to talk about the different methods of how you make a non-alcoholic beer. And we can divide those into two categories. In some, you would use what's called alcohol removal. In other words, you would make a beer that had a substantial amount of alcohol in it, and then you would remove the alcohol. And then the other way to go is to alter the entire brewing process in some ways so that you never produce enough alcohol to go above that 0.5% limit. So on the alcohol removal process, one of the ways you do that is a technique called vacuum distillation. And this is how uh, Heineken is made. So um, Mark, you've heard of distilling, I'm sure, right? So what what is the process? uh, How do you think this works? If you're distilling, you're trying to actually remove
0: the water Right, and leaving that behind. But this is the opposite. You're boiling off, which happens probably a very similar process. The alcohol is evaporating quicker than water, where it's going up the tube and heading over to turn into your favorite liquor. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's just going to waste, I guess. I would think that if I was making a non-alcoholic beer plant I might want to partner with a distillery that wanted to put this product into some other alcohol-related things. And maybe there are some factories that are doing that.
1: Yeah. Well, it would be hard for me to believe that Heineken is just throwing this down the drain. I'm I'm pretty sure that they're uh, selling off the alcohol they get from the distillation or or doing something with it. Maybe they have their own brand. I don't know.
0: That's a great question.
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, just from a chemistry perspective, distillation is basically separating two things based on the differences in the boiling point. And so, you know, I'm sure most of our listeners have the notion of what a distillation column is, but, you know, basically you're just heating it up till you get to the boiling point of uh, the lowest boiling liquid and and then that's going to come off. But of course, you still have a vapor pressure of the higher boiling things like the water and and some of that comes off too. But then you go through some tortuous pathway that has a lot of surface area, so the lower Uh, The things that have higher boiling points condense back to liquids and come back down. Yeah, The downside of using vacuum distillation is that anything that has a boiling point below that of ethanol is going to also come off. So a lot of the things you smell when you stick your nose in a glass of beer, in particular the hop components, are also going to be lost in the distillation process. By pulling a vacuum, actually you lower the boiling point of the ethanol from about 170 Fahrenheit down to 90 to 100 Fahrenheit. And that might be important for some reasons. As a home brewer, you know, if you're up at 170 Fahrenheit, you have hops isomerizing, you're changing the bitterness. There's other kind of reactions going on aside from the distillation that are probably not great for the beer. So that might be one good reason why you'd want to to do the vacuum distillation. Mm Mm-hmm. I doubt anybody's going to jump on trying this at home. (laughs) Well, I think the capital investment to do this kind of thing is, you know, starts at about a half a million uh, dollars and uh, goes upwards to several million dollars. Yeah. There's a family story, though, that there used to be in the Woodward family, some Woodwards and some Woodards with only one W, and there was a split in the name of the family because of uh, moonshining. Like s- s- one oh, side really? of the family were uh, into moonshine and the other side didn't want to be associated with them. I'll leave it to your imagination which side of the family that I come from. But, um, you know, distillation at home is not something that, uh, you know, you can try that at home. But I think to make non alcoholic things, yeah, I don't see that catching on. Right. Maybe <laughs> for the opposite. Yeah, for the opposite. Right. Now, you can, if you have a fancy enough setup, you could separate out even the things that are coming off when you, you know, maybe the esters come off first, so you collect those first, and then the alcohol comes off later, and you collect that later. And then you could add the things that are not alcohol back in. And it is true that on this Heineken product, in addition to the normal ingredients, there's also something about natural flavorings, which is probably they're adding back in some things that are basically lost in the distillation process, I would guess.
0: Natural flavorings.
1: I always like a beer with
0: natural (laughs) flavoring. Well, we split the can. It's gone. That
1: was just like drinking a beer. Yeah, yeah. Pretty pretty close to it, I would say. Well, shall we move on to uh, beer number two?
0: I think I'm ready. Yeah, that one went quick. I'll admit I have not tasted alcohol in a while. I have not been drinking for four months now. I mean, I, I don't know
1: yeah i mean i sure it, have a lot of history of drinking beer but you say you enjoy this as well yeah I, well i have to admit i haven't had a regular heineken in the past six months myself so i'm pretty sure i could tell the difference if i had them side by side but on the other hand um, it certainly was in the right direction well let's go on to uh, another european offering this is a beer that's been around for a long time it goes back to the 20th century i'm pretty sure this is a beer called caliber and this is made by guinness yeah, I believe this
0: came out in 1986.
1: Okay. Yeah, that Been was around it.
0: a while. This will be my first try.
1: Visually, it's also beautifully clear. Maybe just a shade darker than the Heineken. Did pour with a couple fingers of head, and the head retention looks pretty good. This beer is also made by The alcohol removal process, but the process here is different. So the Guinness Brewery uses basically filtration or reverse osmosis. Osmosis is going to be if you have a membrane that will let, let's say, the water go through it, but it'll stop uh, things that are dissolved in the water from going through it, like salt. Uh, What's going to happen is that the water is going to want to move through to the side that has the things in it, the salty side. So typically when you talk about reverse osmosis, you you want to drive it the other way. In other words, you're going to apply a pressure and you're going to push the water through a filter, which has tiny, tiny holes that are just big enough to let small molecules through. And then the water is going to go through. It's going to leave the things in the water behind. So reverse osmosis is used to take seawater and make fresh water for drinking, for example. Mm -hmm. So here in this process, what you're doing is that exact thing but what gets pushed through the filter is the ethanol in the water right? ethanol and water are both small polar molecules you can't really separate them very easily so they both go through but all the other beer stuff is supposed to stay behind so you might start with let's say you start with 100 hectoliters of beer of this lager you go th- push it through the filter And on one side, you get 75 hectoliters of ethanol and water. That's about 5%. And on what's left behind is 25 hectoliters. uh, That's also 5%, but it's got all the other beer stuff still in it. Mm -hmm. So then you just add water to dilute it back up to 100 hectoliters. Now, because you added 75 hectoliters of water, you're down to, um, let's say, 1.25%. And then... You do that again, and and it gets cut by four. And so you end up at something like 0.3% from what was a 5% beer. And hopefully, you've left everything behind but the water and the ethanol. That's the idea of um, this filtration or reverse osmosis approach. I think there's also a recirc as well after the filtering
0: process where the permeate is separated out and the retentate is recirculated back around to the beer tank. Well, until you get the reduction of alcohol level you want. That's what I read. I read on a couple, like GA and Alpha Laval, they both make this equipment. I know Alpha Laval from our centrifuge down at Land Grant. And like you're saying, like, what's the cost? What goes into this? I think I was looking at more from an equipment standpoint, just thinking, well, they're going to tell you how to do this stuff.
1: And they do explain it pretty well on their web pages. Yeah, there certainly could be a, a lot of uh, intricacies of the process that I've uh, skipped over there. You know, le- let me just say that you've got to push with quite a bit of pressure to get it to go through the membrane, and that requires some form of power to pressurize the Yeah, a pump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably a pump. I also read where what Guinness does, I mean, the, the way it was described on their website is that after they get this, you know, ethanol water mixture, they just burn off the ethanol. Now, I'm not really sure what that means because I'm pretty sure that beer is not flammable. But uh, one might imagine you could do vacuum distillation at that point. And then you take the water and you could put the water that's now alcohol-free back into it. uh, And they might do that. Because to make 100 hectoliters or 100 barrels of beer, in this process, you've got to use 150 extra barrels or hectoliters of water that you wouldn't use otherwise. So it's pretty water intensive. But they have a lot of water in Ireland. That's why the stuff costs, Pat. That's right. Yeah. Let's just say that if you're looking to save money by going to non-alcoholic beer, that's not going to work. You're not going to do it. Moving forward with this survey, now I'd like to try a lager that is made by the other approach, where you just don't make enough alcohol to go over the 0.5% limit. The Bravis Lager, which is spelled
0: L-O-G-G-E-R, and it is a non-alcoholic lager.
1: L-A-G-E-R. A (laughs) A lager lager. It's a lager lager. (laughs) Now, this one is made, they don't say exactly how they make it. And what we're going to find is that a lot of these breweries are a little bit coy about how they make things.
0: Yeah, they strictly say on their website that they don't use reverse osmosis filtering, don't use vacuum distillation, and that they have this proprietary
1: secret method Their tanks come from the same companies that everyone else's do. Well, maybe this would be a good point to talk about some of the ways that you might make a beer and never go above half a percent, right? As someone who knows his way around a brewery, um, what are some of the factors that might go into that? Temperature. That can really affect what your beer is doing. So you could raise or lower the temperature. You could arrest
0: the fermentation. Right. And the yeast would quit performing. Sure. Yeah, so you could basically just not let the yeast go to completion. And then removing that yeast, whether it's filtration or centrifugal, one thing that we did find out in researching this is there's actually yeast that you can use that will
1: not ferment to high degrees of alcohol. Right, right. I mean, as we've talked about on this show before, there are different uh, sugars of different complexity. You have really simple sugars like fructose and glucose, But then you have a little bit longer sugars, and the main one in beer, in wort, that you get from grain is maltose, and then a little bit bigger than that would be maltotriose. And there are strains of yeast that will not ferment those parts of the grain, and so therefore you don't have to stop it early because there's just a big chunk of the wort that it's not going to eat.
0: Sure, and looking at White Lab spec sheets, you've got descriptions like fruity, ideal for Belgians, Saison's, IPAs, so they at least get through some simple sugars for some yeast byproduct character without fermenting the beer out to higher levels of alcohol. You could also make a more fermentable or less fermentable wort and control it a little bit that way as well. So there are a few things you could do, but to get it down to where we're talking half percent that's pretty low.
1: Yeah, I I think you're right. Of course, you might mash high. And and then what that basically does is you don't break the uh, starches and sugars into as small a units. So it's kind of like the same kind of thing, trying to leave longer, more complex sugars in. And then if you're using a yeast that doesn't ferment those longer chain sugars, then that's going to help you and then another thing to be said is, you know, when you think about the gravities of these things, you're going to start with a low gravity and then not ferment very much of it. So I was listening to uh, Master Brewers Association of America podcast with Mitch Steele, who was uh, formerly the head brewer at Stone. Before that, he was at AB at Budweiser. And then he's an I, Ohio guy. Is that right? I believe he's from Ohio. Uh, okay. I think he has his own brewery now in Atlanta. But he was saying, okay, when you're designing one of these beers, you probably want the original gravity at uh, something like six to eight Play Doh. So, you know, around 1024 to 1032 on the specific gravity scale. And then you want it to finish at five to six Play Doh. So you're really only fermenting a, a little bit of that. Yeah, very little. What do you think of the sensory on this, Pat?
0: I'm kind of, I don't know that I like it as much as the caliber.
1: It's definitely more of a departure from what I would expect from a lager than the first two that we had. Yeah, I'm going to use the word watery. Just it seemed less vibrant. It's probably a little lower in carbonation anyway, which is... It's not terrible. No. On the first drink, I was really kind of struck by like, oh, wow, this tastes pretty different. And my first thought was something a little bit like in the apple vein or something like that. I, I don't know if that's right. I might be perceiving. Something that I, you know, is, that I'm not used to sensing, but there was just something. It tasted a little bit more like, oh, okay, this tastes different than what I expect a lager to yeah, taste Yeah, it like. does.
0: It's still got that kind of wort like aroma, like if you were to smell.
1: Oh yeah, that's a good better
0: before it was fermented, which totally speaks to what we just talked about.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that could be. And if most of the wort is not going to be fermented, then I guess you're you're going to have some of those flavors, whether you arrest the fermentation or whether you just do some tricks so the yeast don't eat it. Well, okay. I mean, I think now we've tried lager beers that are made by three different approaches. I don't know. I think we're kind of leaning toward we sort of like the alcohol removal beers by... Shall we say, pretty big, massive breweries that can afford a, a lot of investment in this? Yeah. A little bit over the low alcohol fermentation that we had in this Bravas. But um, I think we should try a couple more examples before we um, sort of uh, draw our verdict on that. Our next example is back to Germany. We're going to have a Klosthaler, dry hopped, non alcoholic with cascade hops. Mm-hmm. Are we actually going back to Germany or back to Europe? Back to Europe, right? We haven't been to Germany yet, right? Not yet. It's our first German beer, and, you know, as I was saying in the intro, uh, the Germans have been pretty heavily into non-alcoholic beers, so um, I have reasonably high expectations.
0: Let's give it a shot. And this is
1: Klossthaler Cascade Dry Hopped,
0: unfiltered, non-alcoholic beer from Germany. Hmm. That's got a real pale ale type character wow. to it. Wow, that's good. This tastes like beer. Now, we've kind of acclimated our palate a little bit to
1: not having alcohol in the beer, but hmm. Oh, yeah, I think if you handed me one of these and didn't tell me it was a non-alcoholic beer, I, I couldn't tell. This has the best body of anything we've had. It does. It really has a nice body, nice full mouth feel to it. You know, they all had poured with a reasonably good head, but this one seems like the head retention's a little better, too. This is a winner. Now, of course, we both have uh, trim figures and things like this, but if you were looking to um, count your calories, to what extent would it be helpful to drink non-alcoholic beer rather than regular beer? Well, you know, that's something to talk about because some people are cutting
0: back in January. A big part of cutting out beer could also be to cut out carbs. You're not going to be cutting eight carbs here, because I think the lowest one we had is like 57
1: calories, but these can go up into the low hundreds. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at the analysis on the back of this bottle here, and this particular bottle, it's a 12-ounce bottle, calories 92, fat zero, carbohydrates 19.9, protein 1.1. So it's basically 92 calories of carbs. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so you're cutting about half the calories out when you take the alcohol out. Just shows you how many calories in alcohol. And and also the challenge of making low-calorie alcohol is pretty challenging because the alcohol itself brings a lot of the calories to the beer, or not just the beer, to the seltzer, to the cider, to the uh, vodka, whatever. I've tasted way worse alcoholic pale ales. (laughs) That's for sure.
0: Yeah, interesting, they use cascade hops too. It is for a German brewery, but I think eh, that's kind of common across Europe and the UK now anyways, is they've really taken to American brewing, where, of course, Americans were kind of in the craft movement, bringing some of those European styles over here
1: that were lesser known. Now it's going the other way. That's true. Yeah. I mean, American hops are used all over the world now.
0: Well, they use cutting edge technology
1: over there, Pat. That's what their website says. Yeah, they were a little a little vague in terms of exactly uh, how they make their beers. Um, and I thought it was one way at one point in time and then maybe another way. So I'm not sure what they're doing, but they're doing it right. Yeah, good beer. Crossing back over the Atlantic, but staying in the lager... Vain. Our next beer is Italian style pills from Untitled Art out of Wanakee, Wisconsin. Yep. Well, I like the nose on this one. Do we know what kind of hops they used in that? We do indeed. It is Hollower, Middlefru, and Strata. Oh, nice. That's what I'm getting. It's got that really good noble hop nose to it.
0: Yeah, I really like the aroma on this one. Untitled Art also is pretty well-known craft brewer in and of themselves for not near
1: beer. That's right. They make a lot of regular beers. Yeah,
0: it seems weird to say non-non-alcoholic.
1: <laughs> Double negative. A <laughs> little redundant there, but that's what it is. And uh I
0: also want to note that actually they're not brewing anything than a concept because these are actually brewed out of that octopi brewery in Wisconsin, which is like I think they make a lot of quote-unquote craft brands.
1: I think that's true. I mean, I wasn't really aware of them until we started putting the beers together for this show, and then you look them up online, and it's a pretty big brewery making, I want to say, 200,000 barrels a year, but it's all contract brewing for other craft breweries, right? That's right.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Craft can also sometimes just be an
1: idea produced in someone else's factory. Yeah, yeah. And I think that they're responsible for a couple of the beers we're going to taste here today. Well, this is a pretty nice beer, I would have to say. I, I really do like the hop character on it. The body is probably a little bit in between the Klostoller. Not as, not as much body as the Klostoller, but probably a bit more than the lager that we had from Bravis.
0: It's not bad, but there is a wortiness where it does not really taste totally finished out. Right. That sweetness coupled with the hops... There used to be these hop candies over here at Wylands, which is a market here nearby us. It's independently owned, being our liquor store that's closest to us, and also a really nice beer selection, and always has. But they would keep these hop candies at the checkout aisle. Occasionally, I'd grab a few and throw them in my pocket, and they were labeled what kind of hop they were. And I really get that character that I think I got from, like, hop
1: candy. I could see that. I think this beer... What I like about it is the hop character, and it does have some of that wartiness or something to the to the malt. So the malts are not probably not going to fool you that you're drinking a really good pilsner. Uh, but on the other hand, the hop character is right on the nose, and that sort of I, th- I think maybe masks a little bit uh, some of the deficiencies of the malt. It doesn't hurt if you love hops. Oh yeah. And later on, we're going to get into uh, really hop-forward beers, and it'll be interesting to taste those. But it does kind of point to kind of a conundrum or 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 cross-competing purposes in a way. We talked about, you know, putting in adjuncts like hops. On the one hand, it's hard to keep those flavors in the beer, but on the other hand, the more of those things you have that you can get into your beer, then, you know, if the flavor of the malt base is a little bit off, you're less likely to notice. Yeah, this one's not bad. I like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Interesting, I'm looking on the can, and it does have the government warning about pregnant women and uh, operating machinery. You shouldn't do it after drinking this beer, which is kind of interesting. That is interesting. I mean, I'm planning on getting in a car after this. Well, I'll also say when I have bought these non-alcoholic beers... You still have to show your card if you're buying you them. do. Yeah, if you're buying them at the grocery store and you're going through the uh, self-checkout line, there'll still be some flashing light that goes off and someone will have to come over and type your some approximation of your birthday into the machine to keep going. As we
0: were talking earlier, before we started recording, we were having a little conversation about extracts in terms of baking. And then knowing how much alcohol has to be in a vanilla extract, you should be getting carded
1: More likely for vanilla extract than this. Well, if there's any, you know, miners out there listening, we're not, uh, by the way, endorsing uh, chugging vanilla or almond extract, but um, you're right, it's it's 70 proof uh, alcohol in those things. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is the issue of pasteurization, which uh, when you get into the making of these beers, that becomes a pretty big deal. And, and the reason for that is because, because you don't have alcohol in there, uh, alcohol has an antimicrobial role in beer and it keeps, you know, keeps uh, bad things from growing in your beer. And so if you make beer with minuscule levels of alcohol, you don't have that protection anymore. So from what I've read, if you're going to make these non-alcoholic beers or very low ABV beers, it's essential that you pasteurize them. I've heard that even sort of flash pasteurization is not enough for these kind of beers. You need a full-on tunnel pasteurization, it was called, although I don't really know what that means. But uh, how much would it cost to get a pasteurization unit for a brewery? So if Land Grant decides, hey, we'd like to make some non-alcoholic beers, that would be one of their biggest entry points if they're going to go with this low uh, ABV fermentation approach.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine it's cheap. I don't know if you could just handle that in line. I'm, I would imagine you could. If you have a plate chiller, it could also be a plate heater. I'm not really sure what the
1: pasteurization process is there. Yeah, I don't I don't know that either. I will say when I was listening to this podcast with Mitch Steele, he was saying, you know, some breweries just like take the cans and, and they put them into a, one of their tanks and then they bring in the water and bring the temperature up. But he said, but that's not really sufficient. He, he said, I wouldn't not recommend going that route. I, he said, I think you've got to get dedicated pasteurization equipment to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that is one of the things, you know, these yeasts, uh, this mashing high, there are various things that any brewery could do. But I think the entry point of, of putting that out in the market is, is probably the pasteurization. The other thing that I heard on that note is uh, he said, Well, I would not recommend putting any of these beers on draft. He said, Because the kinds of microbes that you can get in the lines. Uh, Are going to can lead to spoilage that would be, um, you know, could make you pretty sick. I have yet to see one on tap. Yeah, I've only seen them in package form, and that might be one of the reasons. I guess that also speaks to if you were curious as a home brewer and you wanted to make these things, you know, you just said you can order from White Labs or Y Yeast these yeasts, but it would give me pause the pasteurization side of things. Mm -hmm. As we say that though, I think when I had Nanny State. I don't know how it was given to me. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. Might have been on draft. Okay. I mean, if you are really careful with your lines and if you're at a place where you control that, maybe it's not such a big deal. But if you're sending kegs out into the market, I mean, you know, uh, from your own business experience, you can't count on every place is going to keep their lines clean.
0: Oh, yeah. Nothing truer could be stated. And it sure has a great effect
1: on the quality of product to the consumer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think from here we should move on to a somewhat different style of beer. And I've got two wheat beers. We've got the Weihinstephaner non-alcoholic malt beverage. And so, as people may know, Weihinstephaner is, uh, I believe they're the oldest still-operating brewery in the world and a famous brewery for many of their beers, and they make an excellent Hefeweizen. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested to try these. It's not... It's not awful, but something in it just
0: isn't right, sensory-wise. The nose seems fine. It's still got a little bit of a fruity ester to it in the banana vein. There might be a touch of clove, something, as it's going
1: down the mid-palate. There's something that just seems not correct. Yeah, I would agree. Something about the body doesn't seem quite right for a Hefeweizen, not to say that it's more watery than most of them but um yeah i would know the difference between this and the regular it's got a nice fluffy head on it looks like you have a bison yeah that's true that's true it's a, it's a handsome looking beer uh and it smells about right and it's not terrible but um yeah it's not going to make me uh say oh wow that tastes just like uh the stefan or hefeweizen no this one, by the way, both both of the wheat beers are actually made by evaporative techniques. So, okay. uh, so basically, like vacuum distillation. Although Stefaner says they use a uh, falling film technology, but to just kind of quote a little bit off the back of the bottle here, the unique taste is achieved by a method. Um, I'm going to skip a bit of it here I think it's Um, that unique taste that's throwing me off (laughs)
0: It is maybe just a little too unique in the taste Well, as someone that rarely pays for beer I did have to pay for the non-alcoholic beers (laughs) And I would say I'd probably save my money on this one Yeah, I would agree with that Well, let's just go ahead and move right into that well-being Which is the Victory Wheat non-alcoholic Now, this brewery, owner Jeff Stevens, quit drinking He wanted to uh, find some
1: better-tasting options in the N.A. variety and wanting to stay sober, he says. Well, that's a fair motivation. I mean, I I do agree that well-being is one of these ones you see in a lot of places, a little bit like the Bravis and the Athletic that we'll get to later. Mm -hmm. This one, uh, when I was reading about it, they add intentionally add electrolytes to it in addition to what's already there. And, And I have read a bit about that in general beer has some... Good things to replenish if you 've been working out or, or on a run or something like that, and I think here they've they've gone a little bit above and beyond that and added a few things in to make it like the kind of thing you might want to drink if you've been working out,
0: yeah flavor wise and you know electrolytes basically we can boil that down to
1: just meaning salt if we want to, and it does almost have a gosa type character. Yeah, definitely. There's there's a bit there's a bit of a salt and a citrusy thing going mm-hmm. on there, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, that is exactly the way I would describe it. Uh, kind kind of a lemon lime. Um, so it's pretty good. Uh, there's nothing that makes me say wheat beer about this, though. Yeah, I was going to say it, it. It tastes almost a little bit too much like a sports drink. Hmm. Which sports drinks are fine, you know? I mean, I don't have anything against them. Uh, and it does say right on here, sports brew with a hint of orange. Maybe more than a hint. <laughs> <laughs> but not unpleasant to drink. It says sport and brew have gone together since the wing victory herself.
0: 85 calories on this. It did disclose a calorie count. Oh, yeah. Well, Pat, I'm getting full.
1: Might have to have a second session to get through the I rest of these. I think we will. I yeah. think,
0: you know. We'll be right back, but we're going to have to just take a little break from this. And when we do, we'll be back with a couple dark examples, including a blind taste test on Guinness Draft and Guinness Zero non-alcoholic to see if you can tell the difference side by side, Pat. I'm looking forward to that.
1: It's intermission time, folks. And now, on with the show.
0: Okay, we had to take a day off, but we're back to taste through the rest of these non-alcoholic beers. Tastes great, less filling. Not. not. Oh, man, Pat, we had to take a break there.
1: Well, you know, we split seven beers in just over an hour, and there might not have been the alcohol in it, but all the other things you've got to do when you drink beer, we had to do. So our bladders are now empty, Yeah. and our bellies too, and we're back for round two.
0: Yeah, man.
1: that I was feeling so full. Now we got another six to try
0: here. Yep. Uh, we're going to get into now starting with some dark beers. we got a couple options. And, uh, well, we've got one here from Athletic Brewing Company, which is also an exclusively non-alcoholic beer producer. And this is one that actually we care at Land Grant. And since I haven't been drinking as of late, I've been looking for one when I'm there running Euchre. Only to find
1: out we're sold out already almost every
0: time I go on a Monday. So obviously it's popular
1: with people. Yeah, athletic brewing is probably the best known in a beer brewery. And uh, this dark beer, you know, I've tried a couple of these. It's pretty good. We'll see how we do when we get into it. But uh, yeah, let's have a taste. Now we'll say on a dark beer, you know, there are some things working in your favor because you've got a lot of those specialty malts that aren't very fermentable anyway. And so, you know, it kind of makes sense that you could make a good example of a non-alcoholic dark beer. What do you think of this one?
0: Well, as described on the label, it says extra dark is what they're describing the style as. And that's, well, one more thing that, Pat, you've heard me say before about the dumbing down of the craft beer industry. We'll just describe this as it appears instead of by style. But I'm assuming this is just kind of like a dry stout. I mean, there is a nice chalky burntness to the nose that I like. It just reminds me of a kind of a stock standard stout, Irish or English.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's what they're going for here. I, I was just thinking a little bit about it. You know, sometimes with stouts, we rank them, ba- you know, based on their gravity or on their ABV, right? So, so a dry stout, a, a standard stout, an imperial stout. But here, because the ABV is you know less than a half percent. I don't know what the distinction is. But definitely, it's got those roasty notes, uh, like a stout would. Oh, yeah. I will say, it's kind of like some of the beers we had in round one. It just seems like there's something kind of missing in the middle there. You know, it does have that roastiness, that kind of coffee, ashy roastiness. It's got a little bit of caramel, I would say. But... I don't know. How would you put your finger on? It just seems like there's something missing.
0: The first few sips are impressive, and the further you get, the further you notice something's missing, and maybe it gets a little thin, a little flat. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: there's something maybe about uh, the mouthfeel. It it, it comes across a little bit thin for a Mm -hmm. stout. I mean, it's got the right flavors. Um, Maybe, you know, just the missing alcohol there's a bit of crispness. I mean, especially as you go to stronger stouts, the alcohol becomes such an important part of the balance of the beer. You know what I mean? Sure. But in my experience with it, I bought a six pack and I think we're now down to the last one. You know, after about a half a beer, I kind of have had enough.
0: Okay, so we've got another example of a dark beer. This one very widely known, Guinness Draft. I have poured both of these into glasses where Pat is completely unknown to which is the Guinness Zero and to which is the Guinness Draft with alcohol. And you know, it's real popular on the internet now, the reacts. (laughs) Someone reacts to something. So here we go. Pat reacts to non-alcoholic Guinness. Can he tell the
1: difference between the two? Well, I'm looking at the glasses and, you know, they look identical visually. The nitro surge is kind of already passed because I stepped out of the studio while Mark was pouring these, but um, there's still a good one finger, beautiful beige, creamy foam on top. And, uh, you know, smelling them, you know, I don't know. First of all, I'm a 56-year-old man, doesn't have the best nose. but And Guinness isn't the most aromatic of beers, but they both smell kind of like like a Guinness would. Um, so now here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a taste. I'm going to start with the one that is on my left. Yeah, from this side of the table, the appearance has no difference. Well, nice and creamy. It uh, you know has, it tastes like a Guinness. It's got that kind of uh, very roasty flavor to it, but with the creamy mouthfeel that k- kind of suggests a little cream. Um, yeah, that one tastes like a Guinness. And, of course, if it's the regular Guinness, I suppose it should. Now I'm going to taste the one on the right. Okay. Pretty similar. Maybe just a little bit different. Uh, how, would I, how would I put my finger on it? alright I'm going to have to taste both again. Because First yeah. of all, I'm going to say that I, it is not immediately obvious to me which is which. So I'm going to go back to the one on the left. This one, I would say, is just a little less bitter. Uh, maybe a little bit less of that sort of roasty edge to it. I, I would say sweeter, but it's not a sweet beer. So that's the one on the left, and now the one on the right. That one is not as creamy, maybe, and it's got just a just a smidge less sweetness. But it might have a little bit more of that, you know, sort of roastiness that I associate with a Guinness. All right, I guess I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to make a guess here, one way or the other, and and it's gonna be kind of a guess. I think, drum roll, please, that the one that is the Guinness with alcohol, the Guinness draft, is I think the one on the right.
0: Nice work. You are correct, sir. The beer on the right is Guinness Draft, and the one on the left is Guinness Zero Non Alcoholic. It's no
1: question. It was pretty difficult for you to tell the difference, though. Oh, yeah. I think you could fool somebody really easily. I mean, you could totally kind of have a party or have somebody over and, you know, just keep pouring them Guinness Zero. And they're like, and they keep wondering why they weren't getting a buzz. <laughs> or maybe they would start acting like they normally do. You know, you could totally punk someone. I'm not so sure that I don't prefer the Guinness Zero. Remember, last March, we did a whole podcast about Irish Dry Stouts, and we did a Murphy's next to a Guinness, and we both preferred the Murphy's. And in a way, I think the Guinness Zero is just a little bit in that direction because it has just just a bit more sweetness and not quite as roasty. Okay. So, you know, that, that is very impressive, I've got to say. It's actually, yeah,
0: and I think you're so used to that. Guinness nitrogen creamy mouthfeel yeah. and the nice, uh, frothy head that sticks in your mustache as you're drinking. Mm-hmm.
1: I think the experience for experience for me, this one was a sale. Yeah, I totally agree that the nitrogen, which gives you that creamy mouthfeel, I mean, that doesn't depend on the alcohol at all. And then you talk about again, it's already starting off just over four percent, so it's a pretty low ABV beer to start with, you know. So, this is just an absolute great example of a non-alcoholic beer. We've got a few more to try here and now we're going to move into hoppy beers, right? Right. And this will be interesting because of course, you know, the vehicle for delivering the hops depends on a lot of things. You've got to have the, you know, you got to have the right malt bill. And the alcohol itself actually is an important part of your taste experience when you have an IPA.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the way it carries those hop oils and volatiles the aroma. Yeah, alcohol has a lot to do with it, we would think. Let's see if we're surprised on one of these hoppy beers.
1: Let's find out. All right, we're starting our tour of the hoppy beers with a beer from Brooklyn Brewing. This is going to be their Hoppy Amber, 95 calories, non-alcoholic, and they provide as little details as possible about how this beer is made. Yeah, they do. Even on their website, it's kind of vague. Well, I mean, it smells all right. The head is gone as soon as it's poured. Mm. It's pretty light for an amber, I'd have to say. It's kind of golden in mm-hmm. color, I would say. It's not Pilsner it's light, but, gold. but it's kind of a golden color. It kind of tastes like a beer. You can get the crystal malt in there. I'm not getting a lot of hops on the nose. Are you either. Can... Yeah.
0: Brooklyn Brewery is about as old school as it gets too. when you start thinking about craft beers.
1: Oh, yeah. They go back, way back. Yeah, this beer on the taste is, it's okay. I feel like I could figure out this is a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah, I think so as well. It's kind of got that,
0: once again, I'm getting that hop candy character, like that little bit of sweetness from the caramel
1: malt uh, combined with that hop, what little it has. Mm Mm-hmm. It's interesting just how important the ethanol is to the overall taste experience. I mean, it it just pulls a lot of things together in a way that, at least to our brains, that have been conditioned for many decades, say, okay, this is what a beer tastes like.
0: Yep, I'm done. Uh, I think I'm
1: ready to just move right
0: on to the next one.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. This is not a remarkable beer. It's not terrible, but it's not one I'm probably going to get again. Well, I'm pretty satisfied just to dump the rest of that, Pat, for the sake of time and back to well-being. Yeah, uh, I'm hoping that we go upwards from here. So this well-being, this is their intentional IPA, and this is a beer that is hopped with mosaic and citra and contains lactose so it certainly checks a lot of the boxes is this a milkshake ipa pat (laughs) i mean (laughs) i don't know are you trying to trick me here (laughs) i know i would normally have a hard time getting you to drink a milkshake ipa (laughs) but we're about to find out all right i'm going in no it's not hazy no it's not a hazy beer and i'd have to say it's more amber than the brooklyn amber (laughs) than the actual amber yeah Actually, it's very, very clear. It looks good. Head
0: retention on this, as we just noted, looked like you poured a seltzer on the Brooklyn, but this is... Good head retention eh, on this one, yeah.
1: This looks like a beer. Nice hop aroma on the nose, I would say. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. This is way better than their wheat beer, which I would call almost like a Goza, really.
1: Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I will say the
0: one thing that makes this stand out, even though you can almost tell that lactose is there, There's a bitterness to this one that maybe we haven't come across so much yet today.
1: I would agree. Yeah, it does have a little bit of a bitter snap at the finish, and it's got good hop notes from this mosaic and citra, right? I would say on the first drink or two, I kind of got that deja vu that I've had with like, okay, there's just something just a little bit not quite right about the malt flavor on it. But now that I'm three, four or five sips in, that's kind of dissipating. I mean, sometimes when you mm-hmm. have a different beer, it just doesn't taste right for a uh, couple of sips. But, and,
0: and you can say that for any beer. you got to kind of acclimate to this new taste that you're experiencing. And
1: I like that back-of-the-tongue bitterness on this one. I, I would say on the nose and on the bitterness, very much an IPA. I mean, visually, a really, a really attractive beer visually.
0: Mm-hmm. Good uh,
1: body. Yeah, and the mouthfeel, it doesn't come across as thin. No, not at all. Yeah, so this is a good beer. Yeah. Okay,
0: well-being. I did not have a lot of confidence in this brewery after having what they're calling the Victory Wheat, but this Intentional IPA is uh,
1: yeah. pretty good. Definitely a step up from the Brooklyn, that's for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. 97 calories in a 16-ounce, so this is a full pint pour here. And then uh, they also put the carbs and protein on there, 3 grams protein, 13 grams carbs, so... Once again, if avoiding carbs is why you're off beer in the month of January,
1: well, these might not be the direction you're headed anyway. <laughs> well, let's just say if you're on a low carb diet, then I think a malt <laughs> beverage is not uh, the, the direction to go. True story. Interesting to note here, and I thought this well being
0: was a brewery that did all NA beers, well, maybe in concept and brand. But I note here on the can that it says it is by O'Fallon Brewery. Oh, yeah. As okay. you know from St. Louis. That's one of the old-timey ones in St. Louis. So uh, I think they're in Maryland Heights. Okay. I don't know. We've got some misinformation here on the backstory of this brewery.
1: I mean, actually, I have had O'Fallon's. I, I don't have a, a great context for an O'Fallon's IPA, but it kind of makes sense in a way to brand it differently. Mm-hmm. But that uh, that is interesting, yeah. So this is a this is a Midwest entry for sure then.
0: It is pretty pretty good as far as NA beers go.
1: We're into the home stretch now with a couple of juicy hazy IPAs. And this one's billed as a juicy beacon from Southern Grist. Now, Southern Grist is in Nashville, if I'm not mistaken. It it's is. Attractive.
0: Actually, it's a pretty well-respected brewery in Nashville for what I guess we'll just call regular beer, for lack of a better term. But the non-alcoholic one, this is also
1: contract brewed at Octopi. In Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's very pale, like Pilsner-like pale, and definitely hazy. Big head on it. Really nice hops on the nose. The hops on this one are Citra and Galaxy. So that's right in the sweet spot of a hazy IPA. So this got zing, Pat. Now, you know I'm not a big
0: fan of the hazy IPAs, but when one is good, they're pretty good. That's true,
1: yeah. I don't know. I could be deceived into thinking this was a beer. Yeah, I would agree. It's a little bit thin, maybe, on the body, but the taste is like you would expect for a, a juicy IPA. You know, when you talk about a juicy IPA, sometimes, like the real deal, it can be a little bit cloying. You know what I mean? A, a little bit thick sometimes when you get into those hazies. Uh, that's not the case with this one. No,
0: no. It does have like that, like oats in the grist type of mouthfeel, though. I mean, it's
1: is nice. No, I agree. It does have that kind of oaty flavor to it. But it finishes pretty clean. And the hop flavor is really nice in this one. Very citrus forward. Yep. So you've got another hazy one here. While you got me...
0: I mean, we'll see what my tolerance level is. You got me in the mood for a hazy here. So, this one,
1: though, Pat, didn't you say that this has won some awards? Yeah, this is the Sam Adams Just the Haze, which is the gold medal winner from the most recent Great American Beer Festival. Awesome. Well, let's see if we agree that this is an award winning beer. I guess we'll see. And of course, uh, it is an Ohio beer, I assume. Uh, Sam Adams, uh, not really made in Boston, most of it. Most of it's actually made in Cincinnati and some in Pennsylvania, I think. So I thought, hey, we, we got to give this a try. Well, visually, this one is just a little bit more golden than the last one, which was like straw, pale, um, but still a pretty pale beer. This one is, by the way, made with citra, mosaic, Sabro and Cascade, along with white wheat and golden naked oats. Hmm, I don't like this as well as the southern grist
0: since we still have them side by side. I would say southern grist didn't enter that category that year, (laughs) maybe (laughs) not, or you weren't judging (laughs) one of those two things. Yeah, there is something I don't know, there is a very orangey mouth. To this, not just the aroma, like there's a very...
1: There's something in the mouthfeel itself that's a bit juice-like. Yeah, it is. I bought a six-pack of this, so this is not the first one of these I've had. It's a good beer to drink. It's very fruity. Sweetness is about right. It's not too sweet, not too dry, not too bitter. But I kind of get the feeling that I'm drinking something a bit like a glass of juice. There could be a bit of palate fatigue here. We have had a lot of beers on this episode...
0: I'm not really missing the alcohol on these two. No. Like, I kind of think if you had handed me this and told me, hey, I recently brewed this hazy IPA, well, on the light side, I'd probably think, but I do not think
1: I would say I felt these were without alcohol. Well, let's be honest. If I handed you any number of hazy IPAs and you drank it and you said, well, this tastes a little bit like a glass of juice. <laughs> it <laughs> wouldn't necessarily true. be uh, a put-down, right? I mean, oh, yeah. But it does kind of finish a little bit like a glass of orange juice or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it does.
0: It does. I still prefer the Southern Grist. It really,
1: man, that brightness is really mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I think it's more beer-like, mm-hmm. um, and I think it has a lot of the attributes you'd look for in a juicy IPA. Oh, yeah. And just having the two glasses side by side and the lacing on that. Southern Grist for the win as we get into the hazies here. Yeah. Well, I think we're kind of coming now to to the end of the show. We've drank through all of the non-alcoholic beers that we set out to do. And I think I'm happy to say in most of the categories, we found some really good examples.
0: Well, let's start our rundown on the top five picks of those examples. As you could tell, some of these were much more desirable than others. But these are the picks of the ones we tasted on the show for those of you that may be looking for the flavor of beer while minding your alcohol this January, or any other time of the year for that matter. Starting
1: with number five, Untitled Art Italian Pills. Yeah, tasty beer. uh, Very happy to drink it, but I think I could pick that out as being a non-alcoholic beer if I was put to it. So for three and four, we're going to call it, because I don't think
0: we could totally decide. Uh, Pat was lean and hazy. I'm always leaning away from hazy. So we'll go ahead for a three, four tie. We've got the Southern Grist Juicy IPA, which that really was pretty good. Something about the well-being intentional IPA, though, and that bitterness at the back of the tongue really made me feel like I was drinking a beer So I
1: probably would prefer that, and I think you were leaning Southern Grist, right? Yeah, a little bit. They were both good, and they were both pretty darn close to what a a real IPA would taste like. I'm leaning a bit toward the Southern Grist because I think really for a kind of juicy, hazy IPA that is not cloying, you know, crisp, good, kind of very light malt backbone, you know, it was spot on. I can't argue with that at all. Then I think if we go to the top two beers, and we didn't really have to debate this at all, um, our number two choice was the Klosthaler, which is a cascade hopped beer, Klosthaler out of Germany. And, you know, I think you could fool a lot of people with that one. You say, Hey, here's a pale ale I made kind of in the Sierra Nevada tradition with the cascade hops. What do you think? I bet some people wouldn't know it was a non alcoholic beer.
0: Oh, yeah. It would easily be my favorite if it weren't for Guinness. That beer right there, and I know, Pat, you are having a hard time really telling an actual alcoholic Guinness from a non-alcoholic Guinness product.
1: That, man, it just is Guinness draft. It's so good. So that took our number one. Yeah. So I think the question is, is there a non-alcoholic beer that could completely fool you as being a regular beer? And After you taste that Guinness, you'd be hard-pressed to say the answer isn't yes. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that's probably a wrap on it. I hope that everyone out there got some good tips from us, and we'd love to hear your feedback. If you try some of these and you agree with us or you disagree with us, leave some comments on the socials or or send us an email or just grab us sometime. We don't have a beer to cheers out with, but... uh, I couldn't get any more volume of liquid in me right now if I tried. (laughs) All right. Well, peace out, everyone. Yep, and thanks for
0: listening.